Coming up, Masters, Game 82 NBA, and the Gobert Game 2.0. I can't believe we have another Gobert Game. We're going to talk about it next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. Have you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Get ready to level up your adventures with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes with all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. We're also brought to you by the Prestige TV podcast where... Sean Fennessy, Joanna Robinson, and I will be putting up our reaction to episode three, season four. Late, 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 it's going up on Sunday night because we did not get screeners, but it was one of the biggest episodes in the history of the show. I'm not going to spoil what happens. Everyone will be talking about it on Monday, and we will have our reaction in the wee hours on Sunday night, probably, probably after this podcast goes up, but that's how it goes sometimes. I don't know if we're going to talk about the Masters with Priscilla, John Rahm, put it away. Age 28, he's got a U.S. Open and a Masters already. We are in an unbelievable run for young golfers right now. Rahm is 28. Sheffler and Morikawa, they're 26. Justin Thomas, 29. Speed 29. Hovland's 25. Willie Z's in his mid-20s. So is Cam Young. Fitzpatrick's like 28. It's unbelievable. Even the older guys aren't that old. Rory's only 33. So we're always wondering what was going to happen when Tiger finally faded off into the sunset, who is going to be the guy? And the answer is probably nobody will be the guy. It will be this awesome combination of, of really good golfers. Any of them can step up and win or come close or, you know, Rahm and Sheffield will probably be the two kind of, kind of linchpins that everybody measures themselves against. But for the most part, there's going to be 10, 11, 12 guys here that every time we watch the open, the U S open, the masters, it's just, Guys, you're not surprised when they're making a run. Brooks was in there uh, all the way until today, and then he fell apart. Really, really, really fascinating wrinkle, and you could feel it Thursday, too, was the live guys and how the crowd was reacting to them. I mean, I was talking to my dad this morning. He's like, I hope Brooks doesn't win. And I was like, why? And he's like, because he went to the live tour. Screw that guy. And you could kind of feel it all weekend. Even Mickelson. Mickelson gets a 65 on, on Sunday. And I think he's the oldest person to finish in the top five in the Masters. Awesome, awesome, awesome last round. Makes, you know, a fairly hard punt on 18. And the crowd definitely, you know, they applauded. If you looked around, not everyone was even standing. And it was not like one of the, I don't know, 20 loudest ovations of the weekend. And you think like where he was five years ago, that moment, Nicholson locking down a minus eight in second place for the tournament. How people felt about him five, 10 years ago. That place would have exploded. 
that would have been like one of those, ah, in like the long sustained ovation. Not the same. Same for Brooks. Brooks had a chance to be, you know, probably the most popular American guy. And the live tour, the baggage from that, you could feel it. You can feel it when you're watching the tournament, when you're in there in the in Augusta for it. There's definitely like a tainting. So it'll be interesting to see how those guys come at coming out of this weekend will feel about it. Because Brooks was as popular as any new guy in the last 10 years. And Mickelson was the second most popular guy behind Tiger of the last 25 years. And I would say the popularity is not the same. Just my take. Coming up, game 82 and a whole bunch of playing scenarios that are just plain bonkers. Um, <laughs> and the Clippers were in a crazy situation. The Gobert game. We have a lot to break down. We, and plus awards. We're giving you our MVP choices. It's all next. First, Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It is 4 o'clock PT. The Masters is wrapping up. John Rahm's about to win. It's a sad day for Rousseau and I, two of the biggest Rudy Gobert fans around. Um, you can hear it in our voice. <laughs> you know, this guy, we've stuck through him through thick and thin. And, and uh, today hurts Rosillo. He got sent home at halftime of a very important Game 82 game against the Pelicans because he punched his teammate in the shoulder and had to be separated during a timeout huddle. And now this team, they end up winning in the second half, a roller coaster ride of an Anthony Edwards game, which we'll talk about. They end up winning. Now they're going to play the Lakers in the 7-8. They might not have Gobert. He might, might be suspended. Who knows? Jaden McDaniels looks like he fractured his hand punching a wall because he got two fouls. And Nas Reed is out for the season. It just keeps dropping in the Lakers' lap or so. We can talk about that later. But your Gobert reaction first. Uh, well... <laughs> He sucks. <laughs> I can't stand him. Uh, you know, all the years, I was guilty of it in the beginning, too. You're like, man, look at all these screen assists. And, uh, you know, we knew the trade was going to be very good. I actually thought it would help them with their defensive rebounding, which is a huge issue. thought it would help them defensively in the regular season. I actually thought they'd have a better regular season, but they kind of had to reinvent themselves after the trade. I just, my question is, do you think Gobert goes home and watches the game? He got sent home. I don't remember. I went, I, I, I tweeted that I went to the game where Robert Horry threw the towel at Danny Ainge's face. That was the Sun Celtics game. I was in the building for that. And I was at the game when KD and Draymond got really mad at each other right as they were about to go in overtime. And it seemed like they were going to get in a fight and they didn't. But other than that, teammate versus teammate, even acrimony is pretty rare and actual guys getting separated happens once a year and a punch. I can't remember. I'm sure it's it happened happens, in the history though. of the NBA. Guys, guys do get into it with each other in the huddles and that kind of stuff. And Anderson actually runs a little hotter than his demeanor would probably tell yeah. you. But Gobert got benched at the end of a, like four minutes to go of a game. I've lost track where it was like, hey, we're going to we're going to switch something up. I mean, he's just, I, I understand his frustration, but now you're at your second spot. You're not as good as you were in Utah. Uh, everybody that was pro Gobert made excuses about all the things that we didn't understand. And I was even guilty of it, as I've said in the past, but we knew he was declining. 
He gets traded. It still doesn't really work. He's kind of an outdated player. And, you know, when you pass him the basketball, you have no idea what's going to happen. So when Donovan Mitchell, it's like, hey, man, he doesn't want to pass to go bear. It's like, well, no shit. Because he yeah. still hasn't quite figured out, despite, you know, the defensive presence that he brings to you. Really, what he should be is a role player that comes into the game in defensive specific matchups. But for him to get into this, this game was so important. Okay. So Jaden, who can be frustrating at times, despite his great defensive uh, ability, you know, he gets, he gets some whistles that I could see where he's kind of like, what the fuck, man? You know, it yeah. feels like he feels like he gets a, a pretty heavy whistle at times. And I thought the play where he got the whistle on the box out, he was face guarding the box out and then chucked the other guy during the So like, you're going to get that call on you. So for all of this stuff to look like it's going to fall apart and Ingram goes off in the first quarter, like it's one of my favorite ant games ever. Even if you looked at just the box score, you'd be like, well, he wasn't that great. And sure, he made mistakes, but he had stretches where when you watch him, Bill, those are the moments where you're like, he has another level that he can get to that not many players have. And that's the hope. I'm so glad you mentioned that because Gobert goes out and Towns immediately looks like a different guy. So I don't know, body language doctor who's always thought the Towns Gobert thing has seemed weird before Towns got hurt and then after he got hurt. Towns was reinvigorated not having Gobert in there. And then Edwards realized he needed to step up. Edwards took the Ingram performance really personally. Uh, Ingram was great in the first half. I think he had 27. And Edwards, you could see he was not only took the challenge of trying to defend him, but was talking shit to him. was getting a little aggro with him. And as you said, Edwards was all over the map in this game. I think he had eight turnovers. He had a couple awful, awful plays. And then he had some of the best plays that I've seen from his entire career. Some crazy MJ blocks and traffic. Crazy offensive rebound putbacks. A uh, couple big threes. And it's all the same stuff you and I have been talking about with him for over a year. Like there's just a swagger to him. Do you, did you see that play? You must have seen it. It was like four minutes left. Ingram did that spin move he does. And Edwards just dived in front of it and just pickpocketed with his whole body. Like he just kind of read the move, beat him to the spot and just stole it without fouling him. Which I don't know. That's not a play you see very often, right? Somebody reads a spin move and just steals it. The one I noticed, it was like 71-69 because the other frustrating part is that Towns got his fourth foul with eight minutes to go or at the eight-minute mark of the third quarter. And one of the officials in this game was having a pretty tough go of it. Um, yeah. But, and it was funny because Towns goes to get in front of Valanciunas kind of in that trans, like not full transition, kind of like a soft transition. And players do this all the time. They just kind of get in front of the other guy, fall down, and then get the call. And the official was having a tough game, went to call it a charge. Luckily, the guy in the baseline saw what happened. But at that point, you're like, why are you fucking around with this? Like, why are you even putting yourself in a position where it shouldn't have been a charge anyway? And then he gets his fourth foul, and he's out of, he's, he's subbed out of the game. And at that point, it was like 71-69, and Anthony Edwards had a drive past everybody. Then there was all this help on him. He makes the perfect pass. Then he hits a three. And I think the Ingram block that you're talking about is he was already in the air as Ingram. Like he got off of his feet, almost undisciplined. Ingram thinks he has him. And then he strips him like on the way down. Um, no, that was a that, different play. He did that. that was he had the block okay. on McCollum and traffic. No, he just said McCollum help he... one. The McCollum yeah. help one is like, oh, I mean, I retweeted because it, it was so nasty, but. I mean, even off that strip, then he turned it over, but then he got the and one when it was turned over again. So yeah. you're right. There was some messiness into it, but there were stretches where he had to kind of do this on his own. And those are the special players. And that's why, again, I, I think he has a chance to be one of those guys. I thought this was actually an awesome win considering everything that happened for Minnesota. Totally like, they agree. feel great today. 
Yeah, that was a rise to the occasion game from him. And it wasn't perfect. But I think that's why we both like him. He just, I think he sensed the moment. He realized that the season was going sideways. The whole team, like, it was weird for a team that just had had an altercation on the bench an hour earlier. The team was like, they're all standing, they're pulling for each other. It seems like they really like Kyle Anderson and uh, and Prince. And uh, Yeah, and, absolutely. And the Edwards thing, how can you not like that guy? Um, and when Towns were, came back in too, I mean, he lit it up from the outside. He New was Orleans awesome. tried to go five out small. Herb Jones, I think, was playing him at that point. And if you just don't have enough size, like I can understand, like when Towns is hitting his shot, it's a brutal spot for the opposing coach to go, you know, what do I do here? But the funny thing is that when Towns was out, Gobert's already gone. They brought a Knight for a stretch there to play center. That wasn't working out defensively. By going kind of five out, it, it allowed all this room for Anthony Edwards, which kind of gets back to the Gobert point of like, yeah, I'm glad you, you actually this up. screwing Edwards up. I mean, again, these are all like long-term things that maybe Timberwolves fans don't want to hear about because today was so awesome and getting that win. But that's the part of just the basketball fit where you go, Man, isn't it cool when you have Towns on the outside or just ant attacking and no one else is there on his team in the middle? That's why we hated the trade to begin with. I mean, we can victory lap this. We've been victory lapping it for six months. I hated the trade. Really despised it. I didn't understand it. I didn't think it made them a contender. I thought it was going to change their style of play in a really weird way. I wasn't sold on Towns to go bear at all. You could see even in that second half today, watching them with Towns as the center, that's the best thing about him is he's this weird center who can guard fives on one end and then spreads everybody on the other end. And I just, I thought Gobert not being out there weirdly opened things up for them. The refs kept Towns in the game. Towns should have fouled out with like two minutes left. He missed that layup around the rim. And then he was trying to get the rebound. He just crashed into the guy and knocked him two feet backwards. Yeah. And I think if they had called that, I think Minnesota was going to lose. New Orleans um, really screwed that game up in a bunch of different ways. And I, I think, you know, that, I, that they have to win two. They have OKC now in the 9-10. OKC is, has to be one of the weirdest playoff teams we've ever had. Josh Giddy leading the team in rebounds with 7.9. Nobody else on the team has more than five rebounds a game. They have no rim protection at all. And yet they have figured out this weirdly scrappy, almost like a college team. And I, I just wouldn't want to play them. I don't, I don't trust not having the best guy in the game. I think SJ is the best guy in the game. And so there's a big loss for them. And then on the flip side, Minnesota gets into the eight, but now they're down Nas Reed. They might be down Gobert. They might be down McDaniels. And the Lakers, who get the seven seed, basically they win the lottery because um, now they get to play this depleted Minnesota team that they were probably better than anyway. So now, Well, I don't Lakers know about get, the Gobert thing. The Gobert seems to be like, are they going to suspend him if he's available, knowing that against Anthony Davis actually makes some sense there? I, I would think you worry about that punishment later. <laughs> I would go with the Red Arback deal here where you're like, well, well I just think can you're I, assuming Can I soft counter? Sure. The team might be like, we're good. Not with that contract. No, just for, we're good. We'll handle the playing game. Maybe he can come back for the 9-10. I wouldn't, I, to me, it's 50-50 whether he's suspended for that game or not. I mean, he punched a teammate in the huddle. We, we, we haven't seen that ever. I think you have to suspend him for a game and it might actually galvanize the team. I had the Ewing Theory Committee scouts. They were flying to Minnesota at halftime in that game. They want to check it out. Um, but in that Laker game, I think the Lakers with a full team are, are going to beat Minnesota in a one-off just because of the experience and how sloppy and weird some of the decisions Minnesota makes are. But they, 
they did have size to throw at them and not having Nas and then whether Gobert comes back or not, you know, that now it turns into uh, you don't even have the two best guys in the game and it's a 7-8 matchup. For the Lakers, it worked out great. And then they get to play Memphis, who doesn't have Steven Adams, doesn't have Brandon Clark, who's got Triple J, who we're going to talk about later in the defensive player thing. I'm still not sold he can play 36 minutes a game in a playoff series because he gets fouls too easily. And I just think this lined up unbelievable for the Lakers, right? You have Suns Clippers. Um, they get to get to beat the hell out of each other. Warriors Kings and the Lakers. Pretty easy path to get to round two for a team that I gave up on. What were they, two and 10? It's crazy. Yeah, it was- like if you had to rank your West teams that you think are going to be in the West Finals... Once you remove Phoenix and Denver, I think the Lakers have as good of a chance as any other team, right? Would you put another team over them? Yeah, I think Golden they have a really State? good shot at this. Yeah, I see the Golden State Wiggins thing. I think it's weird that he couldn't have played like a regular season game or something just to kind of get back out there with him. Granted, they put it on Portland today in a way we've almost never seen. Historically, we've never seen that, what they did yeah. in the first quarter. So, you know, what does that mean? It just means they weren't screwing around. Like the Clippers are screwing around, it felt like today, against a Phoenix team that like, it's always funny, the hierarchy of the cool guys on the team where it's like, all right, Katie's not playing, Booker's not playing, Chris Paul's not playing. That means Aiton's not playing, but it also means campaign's not playing. Uh, and the Clippers, it right. took them until very late to, to get that win. I was wondering if they would do something that they had done in the past where they tried to jockey a bit. But once Golden State was going to win, like the Clippers seeding could have gotten really weird. I mean, Golden State, they were going to lose to Portland, I wouldn't have thought. But yeah, I, I think the Lakers deserve Wait, hold on. Can much- you freeze on that point? Sure. Because because Haralabob was going nuts about this, and I was texting them. He thought the Clippers should have punted and gone for the seven seed, and taken their chances in the seven eight with home court. And even if they lose, then they're the eight seed um, versus playing the Suns. Because he said, basically, if Minnesota won, they were the six seed regardless. If New Orleans won, Golden State won, Lakers won, the Clippers had to win. They were either five or seven. And Harrell Bob's point was, I think they're drawn dead in a Sun series. I don't think they can beat them. I would rather roll the dice with the Minnesota-New Orleans game. That's a 50-50 game, and it was down the stretch. And if Minnesota wins, we're six anyway. Now we get to play Sacramento. And if we lose, now we're, if, if Minnesota wins, we fall to seven. Minnesota jumps us. We play the Lakers, but then we're still probably in the playoffs. The odds of them losing both playing games. I don't know. I I just want to get in the playoffs and I don't like overthinking it. But I did think it was interesting to think like, oh, there was a way they could have ducked the Suns. I would have been fine with it. I mean, again, they did it before, but then it turns into the talk show thing for two days. It's like, wait, if you thought you were this team that was built with veterans, um, you're supposed to, you know, you're never supposed to show any fear whatsoever. I think the probabilities people where Haralabob is is far more like looking at the path, right? The path of what's our probability of getting through this versus other ones. He's right. The math is right. I mean, I'm picking Phoenix to win the West. I am. I'd like to see more yeah. of it. Uh, but that's how I feel about them. And that's how I feel about the rather, uh, the rest of the teams in the West. And that's why I think it back to your Lakers point is even if you think like the two and 10 thing, who cares? None of it, none of it matters anymore. You know, every no. when they were two and 10, it wasn't like we were watching them going, no, don't worry about it. They're going to be awesome. But Anthony Davis, I was looking at it. He came back on January 25th. He's played 31 of the 34 games. The team went 20 and 11. 
Uh, since wow. that time, they've been the fourth best defense in the NBA. The offense isn't that great, but they have real options now with their rotation. And even if LeBron, who lit it up today from outside, a couple things, it doesn't look like Shamanich could guard LeBron in a playoff series. I'm just going to throw that out there now. Um, Shamanich, who was like... <laughs> Pack it away. He's like a slightly more arrogant Mr. Perfect in a, as a basketball <laughs> player. He's un... That guy is fearless. Yeah. Um, and LeBron lit it up from three today. He was incredible. But I, you know, I wonder what he's going to look like in a playoff series because I still think he gets his numbers. But it's clear it's... There's, I don't know. I don't know that I'm as afraid of him as I am Anthony Davis now because Davis is going to be an all NBA guy for me and my vote once we all kind of looked at it and how it played out. He's been terrific. So, uh, yeah, the long answer to all of this is that and there's almost a Lakers result. I mean, look, if they won the whole thing, that'd still be a little weird today sitting here at the beginning of April, but it's not impossible. It's not something you would say where you would laugh at it, even if I'm going to pick other teams before him. I want to talk about that Davis-LeBron thing coming out of the break. We, we got to put a bow in the Gobert thing. I already thought this was one of the worst trades in the history of the league, if not number one. And now if this actually gets acrimonious as we head into the offseason, they don't have outs. He's got a pretty big contract. This is moving up the ladder. I mean, that Paul George trade, even though I think we all understood the reasons of it, Harrell um, Bob was saying, just SGA alone was was a horrible price to give up, and then you throw on all the picks. That's way up there. The Tatum, the Celtics Nets trade is way up there. But this Gobert thing, where you're going in the offseason and you don't even know if this is salvageable, on top of the picks haven't even really kicked in yet, on top of the Kessler thing, it's just brutal. And it goes back to what we were talking about last summer. It was it was too early to go all in on a trade like this when you Edwards is it's it's going to be this process with them. We're not going to know who he is for four more years, but we see these flashes and it's like, this guy's incredibly special. I just wonder, could they be in a situation a little like what Dallas is in now where you have this special player and you kind of botched everything around him and now you're on the clock and there's a chance that that's how it plays out. I think their assets are a little better than Luka Dallas, but um, anything, anything to add to that or should we go to break? No, real quick, uh, Gobert, the next three years, 41 million, 44 million, and then 46.7 million. That's a player option. Probably going to pick that one up in 25, 26. Uh, yeah, lock it So, down. you know, you can, it can be acrimonious. It can be nasty. No contract is untradeable, but they already moved so many picks. I don't know how they could move that contract without paying some sort of pick tax on it. To Ralabob's point, SGA, we all really liked him. To say that trade alone, yeah, now it looks terrible, but. I mean, did all of us now liked him? I don't know, but you cannot talk about the Paul George trade in a vacuum. It got you Kawhi Leonard. And any GM that says, hey, Kawhi's on the phone and he's coming here if we can get Paul George, and we're adding Paul George, despite whatever you think of him, even the most harsh critics of Paul George, I don't know. I feel like that's playing the results a little bit. It looks bad now. Uh, the Gobert trade's going to look even worse because right now you take Walker Kessler straight up for him. The difference is, but the difference with Kawhi and Paul George is it did make them a legitimate contender and put them on the short list of teams that could win the title right away. That's my point. And the Gobert trade did not do that. And that's yeah. it. And that there's nothing else to talk about. And it's just worse and worse and worse. Protect Anthony Edwards at all costs. We're going to take a break. The NBA playoffs are here and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash BS right now and place a $5 bet and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets. Win 
or lose, I'm going to put up some sort of bet on Tuesday or Wednesday with the playing games. I really want to study these. I want to study the matchups. My quick instinct is leaning toward the Lakers and the experience over this crazy Minnesota situation with McDaniels. Looks like he fractured his hand potentially. Gobert, who knows if he's going to even play in that game. So uh, leaning toward the Lakers, but I'll put something on my Twitter feed either Tuesday or Wednesday. And it'll be related to FanDuel. They have spread, money line, over, under, props. They have uh, all the playoff action you would ever want. Same game parlays. Plus, if you go to FanDuel.com slash BS and sign up, you get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, your official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 plus and president of select states. First online real money wager, only $10 deposit required. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fandle.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. In Massachusetts, visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLE or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. In Connecticut, call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Louisiana, 877-770-STOP. In Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. In Wyoming, 800-522-4700. In West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. So I'm glad you brought up the Davis-LeBron thing because I had a spot for one of them on my third team All-NBA. LeBron played, my, my minimum for All-NBA is 55 games and I've, I've stuck to it and I've been pretty loyal to that no matter what happens season to season. Uh, it's, a, it's two-thirds of the games basically and I just feel like you have to get there. Davis has been a center most of the time for the Lakers. The spot I would have for one of them is the forward spot you'd have to use some real chicanery to put Davis in that forward spot. You'd really have to be, you know, teams doing it with Jokic and Beater. Sabonis is ridiculous. Those guys are centers. Davis has played a little forward, but to me, not enough. I feel like he's the center. I feel like it's cheating. So I think LeBron's going to get the spot. But I do think Davis has been the best Laker this year, which I think you seem to think too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, from the point of him coming back, I mean, the funniest thing about all of this is that I... I just couldn't stand watching him fall down anymore. Like I just felt like every week yeah. there was a fall where I go, oh, here we go again. And yet he's gotten up. And I think he has more to do with this than 
No, I see. It's making it sound like it's being negative about LeBron, and that's not really the point. I think it's just praising Davis for being steady now for two plus months and and being a. I, yeah, again, I'm with you. The biggest reason why this Lakers team is going to the playoffs and people feeling good about it. It's funny the LeBron season he had because the the points are higher than like prime LeBron. Now that's it's easier to score, and there's reasons for that. Um, the production has been there. And I test, he's still, you know, one of the 10 or 12 best offensive players in the league. But when you break down the actual stats, like there are, there is subtle slippage that as I watch, I have noticed, you know, like that on basketball reference, you can go and you can break down the, they have it by the shooting ranges, like zero to three feet, three to 10 feet, 10 to 16 feet. So, I mean, there's some funny stuff with this. One is, (laughs) um, the 2014 season, he shot 55% from three to 10 feet, which is like astounding. Like nobody does that. I like, I, I almost like, I feel like his Miami years have become now underrated when you look at some of the numbers. Agreed. It was crazy when it was happening. You remember that, that third season, he was flirting with 60% for the year and shit like that. So you go to this year, um, he's down to 46% from the three to 10 range and 33% from 10 to 16. Um, during his career in his prime, which if you ba- it basically, if you say from 2011 to 2018, he was basically, you know, 42 to 46%. He was always reliable that 10 to 16, that's just dropped. And then the three point shooting has really dropped. Like he's, you know, 31% this year. So I think as far, as, as far of like trusting his scoring, I trust him to get to the basket, get to the rim, bounce off guys, get that stuff. But I think I trust Davis more as a scorer now. Who, who do you trust more just to get a basket with three minutes left? The return of LeBron's like close, if you look at some of the free throw rate stuff and and the, the shooting threes, yeah. and we've seen this like, you know, I mean, God, we're 20 years into this, so this is still phenomenal. Uh, it's crazy. But, but some of the decisions, you know, it seems like, all right, maybe I'll just kind of hang out here and I'll I'll hit some threes. And again, today, I think he, what, he finished with eight of them. So, yeah. It's not really a criticism. It's just, I don't know. I started noticing it last year a little bit where I was like, geez, this guy still gets insane numbers and I feel like he can float. Like he can float through a game and control the tempo and the decisions and then attack when he needs to. And then he still has these prime LeBron numbers. Uh, and the fact that we're even wondering if it's still prime LeBron 20 years later, which it isn't, but you know, it's a, it's a credit to him. It's just, I wonder if there'll be an, in- an intensity because he understands the moment as well as anybody in the league, like, will there be this intensity? Because again, if he was still the guy, they would be like a top four seed because that's how special he was. Like without anybody, he'd be like a four seed. Um, I mean, what's crazy about this year is if he had shot a little bit better from the fringes, he probably would average like 33, 34 points a game, which would have been by far the highest he's done. I think the reason I still he trust was at him, 30. He was at 30 before the last stretch that he missed. I mean, so he dipped yeah. a bit, but I think... You know, but as much he's as they're winning games, and he, yeah, right. I mean, he's right there. So I think he was like twenty nine point seven, but it wasn't counted because he, you know, it's kind of like that batting average thing where he wasn't qualifying depending on which leaders you would look at. But go ahead. I trust him in playoff games because I think he can get to the line and bounce off people and get calls and finish as good as as good as he was doing five years ago. I don't think his jump shots the same. I don't think his three point shots the same. But I still think his around the basket stuff is is in the ballpark. 
And when you throw that with Davis and their ability to overpower people, that's that's where Minnesota not having those extra big bodies is going to be really tough. You know, and we talked about, we've talked about Reeves before, who's really turned into a nice role player. Like, I kind of like their team. Like my dad and I were talking about it on the phone and my dad was like, I'm worried about the Lakers. Like, what if we play the Lakers in the finals? <laughs> like, I'm too old. I wouldn't be able to handle that. And I, it was the first time anybody had said that to me. Then House brought it up when we were in Augusta too, that um, I still feel like it's impossible for them to stay healthy. But um, for three straight rounds, I just don't think it's realistic, but it's at least, you know, not unrealistic. It's in play. We got to talk about what Dallas did. So it's worse what Dallas did on Friday night, punting a chance to be a playing team is actually worse when you saw what happened in Minnesota today because let's say Dallas is the 10 seed and they eke out OKC. They get to play that New Orleans team, which I think Luca and he can win a one-off against anybody. And then going against that Minnesota team with no Jaden McDaniels and with who knows what's going on with Gobert. It's like, it is realistic that they could have gotten the eight seed. Which goes back to my point that I'm going to stay firm on that I haven't really wavered on my entire life. If you have a chance to make the playoffs, make the fucking playoffs. And that's just how I feel. And I'm never going to, you're never going to talk me into, oh, no, no, they had a chance to get the number 10 pick. Great. The number 10 pick. I know it's a nice pick. It's fine. It's not a guaranteed awesome guy. And I, I just hate it. I don't think you can do it when you have Luca. I thought, Honestly, Rosillo, I, I thought it was one of the darker moments in recent league history. I thought it was disgusting. And I'll be really interested to see if the league cares about the fact that, as far as I can tell, and I, I admittedly did not go through like the history of baseball and hockey. I know it's never happened in football. I've never seen a team that actually had a chance to make the playoffs punt on the chance. Like they had a real chance to make the playoffs and they said, fuck it. And they tossed it away. And I just thought it was despicable. What were your thoughts? It bothered me 0%. Um, you know, Portland okay. had a chance. They didn't give a shit. Washington maybe had an outside chance. They were sitting everybody. So the fact that it happens at the very, very end of the season where Luca plays like what? A couple possessions at the start of the second quarter and then they sub him out. So like, it feels more egregious because they weren't as deliberate about it early enough. You know, I, I still think it's the same principle. They made a decision as a franchise to not prioritize the play-in tournament. And the other reason we haven't seen this as much is we haven't had the play-in tournament for that long. So I think right. this would happen again. And I think Cuban and I think this team would look at the probabilities again and go, all right, so we get to the play-in. Like, what are we actually doing? And that way they get to keep the pick potentially. And most people, it's almost like the American way to go, well, I'd rather just pay you later. <laughs> And we'll we'll have that pick as an asset with all the other decisions they're going to have to make. So I get why it felt grosser, but it fundamentally is the same thing that other teams have done that were flirting with this stuff. They just decided to do it earlier. I guess I disagree only because Luca is healthy. Yeah, because Luca's healthy and I still feel like I have a chance to make the playoffs with him. And if I can get into the playoffs and I'm going against Denver, who knows? Like the whole point of this shit is um, you make the playoffs, anything can happen. The West has been wide open this whole year. And they weren't going to beat anybody. They weren't going to beat anybody. Who knows? They have Luka Doncic. The guy averages 33 a game. Maybe he just goes nuts. You only need to win four out of seven games. You basically have to go 500 in every playoff series and then win one more. <laughs> I, I just don't like it. 
Like Miami right now, Boston's better than Miami. There's a world where Miami can beat Boston. They could play well three times, toss away three times, and then it goes to game seven. And who the fuck knows what's going to happen, right? They only have to play well three of the six times to get to a game seven. I don't like throwing it away when I have Luka. If you told me if it was like OK, OKC even, that I get. OKC doesn't even have a center. I, don't, I have no idea how OKC's even in the playing tournament. I look at their team, I'm just in awe of, like I whether SGA is going to be the number five MVP on my ballot, we'll talk about in a second. But I look at their team and I'm just stupefied that they weren't like 27 and 55, but they kept fighting. They kept fighting. So I don't know. After you trade that, what they did for Kyrie to then punt on the season and have no idea if he's coming back. Like I just, to me, it makes it worse. It just feels worse. It feels grosser. Not to mention what if they get leapfrogged by, the number 11 team when we get to the lottery and they lose the pick anyway. That would be the funniest way for me right. to end. No doubt. If right. the Bulls leapfrog them. That's in play. I, I guess it kind of just gets back to like this, this philosophy that I've had a lot is that if you're going to do something, even though we know that everybody's doing it, the person's doing it, the business is doing it, as long as they don't tell us, <laughs> It's okay. Yeah. But when they tell us, and what Dallas did is they told us in a very forward way, hey, this is exactly what we're doing. And then we're told the truth. We we get pissed about it, but it's not because it's the truth. We just don't like the packaging of it. You know, it's like tanking. You talk to a team, oh, we're not tanking. And then it like transitioned into you can't say rebuilding, right? Oh, we're in a transitional year. And then that'll become a term that no one can use. And you're like, it's all the same shit, just packaged a different way. So I don't have an issue with it, even if it was a lot grosser, which you're right about. It was grosser. You know, there was a chance up until the last couple of days to still go ahead and do this. I don't think they're beating anybody. I think they knew they weren't beating anybody. They've been a mess defensively uh, this year, which is just so weird about how their run was put together last year. They really buttoned it up defensively for a long stretch. I still felt like that Western Conference Finals run, to my point, is like we have Western and Eastern Conference Finals teams that make appearances where you're like, I hope you don't go into next year thinking you're a top four team in the NBA just right. because you technically were in the Final Four. And they fit that profile, like Portland before them, like Atlanta a couple years ago, where it's like you think you might be growing, but it's more likely you're not going to get to that level again. And they went in the opposite direction in dramatic fashion. I just. I don't know, man. Maybe the playing thing is different for you. I kind of just look at it as extending it out where you have these more teams that are supposedly alive, which, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say supposedly. They are technically still alive. And Dallas just felt like, are we really going to win two games out of the play-in and then play the one or two seed and win four of those seven games with this team that's been a mess now for a while? I don't think they were, and I think they knew it. I still have Luca, And I don't know if that pick is crucial enough because there's a couple things with it, right? All right, so here's KOC's ringer draft guide. Number eight pick, Taylor Hendrick from UCF. Number nine pick, Cam Whitmore from Villanova. Number 10 pick, Kaysan Wallace from uh, Kentucky. Number 11, Grady Dick from Kansas. Are any of those guys changing your franchise? Well, first of all, most of the guys do not change your franchise, no. I think it's about just having another option for having to retool this thing in the offseason some way. So the value of the pick, the unknown. This is not considered a very good draft. All right, teams are telling you already this is not a great draft at all. So the simple answer is, of course not. That guy most likely is not changing the course of your franchise. I just think it's an extra piece that they'd rather have than not have to figure out what they're going to look like at the start of next year. And now they're stuck 
they can't trade their first round, any first round picks now because this pick rolls over that Knicks pick and they have the 29 picks. So I think there's only one pick in the, between all of that that they can trade. I think that Knicks thing is still attached for a couple more years. So if they had just given that pick to the Knicks, maybe it's the 11th pick, 12th pick, whatever, then they have the flexibility to trade some picks. I mean, this is one of the, um, we've had some bad, I don't want to say, oh my God, that's one of the most catastrophic seasons ever because we've had a lot of disappointing teams over the year. But to go in the Western Finals and then trade two future first round picks to improve your roster and go backwards and become a lottery team is like almost impossible. I mean, they, they were in the Western Finals last year. They traded that one pick for Christian Wood. I didn't understand that as it was happening. Um, and then this other pick for Kyrie, which you, me, and House went on right after, and we just crushed that trade. Um, we just all thought it was desperate was the best thing you could have said about it. But that team, to me, has moved into top five worst-run teams. I really think that, which is crazy because I think you could have argued with the Mavs in that 03 to and maybe 11 stretch really well-run organization. I don't think you could say that anymore. What's good about that organization at this point? No, and there was a report this week too, which is what people have been hearing in the rumblings and certain teams kind of clearing the decks, although teams have done that for years. All the teams that were like, oh, we're clearing all the cap space for Giannis. So, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, well, guess what? Mm. Good plan. Um, But look, it's better than having (laughs) no plan whatsoever. But this, the Luka thing is going to be the next thing. I mean, he's, if, he's, if he's a tenth of pissed off at people around him as he is during a game, like, I don't know what that relationship is like. I mean, is he, is he all into Cuban? Does he love Dallas? He love, but like, this is just the way it works. If a guy is this good who is going in the wrong direction with the franchise, this usually isn't an awesome breakup. It usually isn't, despite the fact that, again, a lot of the international guys, but Luca might be the first one. But again, this is down the road, but there's always been whispers about this of like, like which... By the way, I mean, this isn't that insightful, but which organization could go, we have this top five player this soon, by the way. Like, Luka didn't even have to go through, like, the development years, like Paul George or Kawhi or Giannis or Jokic, you know, or Shea even. Like, think about how immediately Luka, you're like, holy shit, he's this good. So you don't even get those kind of, like, fake um, development years from him where year six and seven, he's pissed. He might be already pissed. Uh (laughs) So, you know, have fun because that's that's not going to be if this is kind of the same roster again next year and they're pretty limited in what they can do. And then they what? Keep Kyrie just to protect the asset. You know, that's I mean, usually he's going to age time. nicely. A lot of people are saying he's going <laughs> to age really nicely in his in his 30s. The uh, to take that Jalen Brunson asset, the 2023 first and the 2029 unprotected first and basically turn that into nothing if Kyrie leaves is unbelievable. Now, I guess you could say, well, but on the other hand, well, they got the 10th pick. And Finney Smith. Trap. Yeah, they lose Finney Smith. They lose Dinwiddie. Yikes. Um, Kyle, you might have to turn the TikTok camera on. As you know, I'm a historian of the game, Rosillo. I read that. This Luca season goes on his record now. Like, like, uh, like he's actually spent time in jail, like one of those things where he has to put it when he's applying for jobs, you have to disclose things that have happened to you. Um, to go 38 and 44 in a healthy season in your mid-20s um, in a 
garbage conference that was all over the place that got racked by injuries and was just really bad. I don't care that weird shit was in Christian Wood and oh my God, maybe JaVale McGee didn't work out and you lost Brunson. I just feel like if you're as good as him, if you're as good as the top assets in the league, which to me are Giannis and Jokic and Luka and Embiid, those four, and I'm getting a healthy season from those four guys, I should be able to win 48 games, right? That's the Tim Duncan test that we've talked about. The reason I will always have Tim, Tim Duncan over Kobe, sorry, Kobe fans, I know we all love them, but you you didn't lose less than 50 games if you had Tim Duncan on your team. You just didn't. It didn't matter who else was on the team. You won 50 games. I think Giannis is like that now. Giannis's team is good, but I think if Giannis played with that team that Dallas had, he would have figured out a way to get to like 48 and 34 in the West. And the fact that Luka didn't do that, we were really hard on James Harden even though I voted for him twice for MVP in 2017-18, but we're really hard on him about, can you win with this style? Um, what's going on with this guy in the playoffs? Harden had way more success um, in Houston than Lucas had, and you didn't miss the playoffs with Harden like this. And way more I, I just, is an overstatement. Way more well, is an overstatement. They more, both have a Western in the Conference playoffs finals. More, they won 60-plus games. They came within the precipice a couple of times. It's bad luck with the Warriors. I'm just saying, like, um, I thought Luca took a real step back this year. I thought he looked heavy. I thought he didn't play defense. I thought his body language was bad. And even though his stats look pretty good, and we'll look back 30 years from now and be like, oh, Luca averaged 32 a game. This was a bad season for him. It was a bad season for him as a leader and as a trade asset. Like I used to think he was unassailably one of the top three trade assets. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. I think this really goes on his record. It's like a real black mark. What do you think? Everything you said is fair. I agree with almost all of it, except for I've got to see it like another year before I'm all of a sudden ready to downgrade him as a trade asset. All right. in his standing in the league. But you're right. If he's that guy, which we've all said that he is, you're at least in the top six or seven. You right? have to be 46 right. and 36. Yeah. You have yeah, to. That's totally and I also think with the Harden stuff, we didn't start being critical of it right away. It took a few years of like, what, what the hell's going on here? Like what is yeah, this? it just kind of went sideways, but and, for, and then and I think yeah. I don't think we were conditioned enough with the high usage stuff to go, oh wait, maybe this isn't the best way to transition into the playoffs. Like maybe this is a yeah. regular season thing that's great, and then when it's in the playoffs, it isn't that great. But then they have that playoff run last year, which matches Harden's one Western Conference as the primary guy, not including Oklahoma City's finals run a decade ago. But you know, to be fair to Harden. We weren't we weren't from the jump going what the actually like Harden's stuff and the Westbrook stuff and a lot of the high usage stuff led me to do the thing that I did last year as I was watching Doncic going, you know, this this high usage one guy thing has a pretty dismal track record in the playoffs yeah. going back to some of the Kobe years. And, you know, Iverson's like the one guy, I think, out of the top 20 going into this year that had ever played in an NBA finals where everything was about him. But the terrible, is, terrible conference. Right, right. But the funny thing is, like, we have some usage numbers this year that are off the charts. So I think all the criticism of Luca is fair. But for you to, like, go into next year saying he's not a top six or seven guy all of a sudden. No, I, this is I, a think he, I think he's a top six or seven guy. I'm saying, to me, it was like him versus, him versus Giannis versus Jokic as, as yeah. all-time untradeable assets. No way you even consider it. Yeah. And now it's like, I like Jokic, look at his last six years, starting with 2018, 46 and 36, 54 and 28, 46 and 27, 47, 25, 48 and 34 last year, 52 and 29 this year. Last year's team was awful. That team didn't have Jamal Murray. It didn't have Porter for a lot of the season. 
Um, I still have no idea how they went 48 and 34. It was unbelievable to watch as it was happening. That's why we voted for him for MVP. He fucking carried them. And I just didn't see that with Luca this year. I, I saw a guy who seemed um, hard, really hard to play with, hard for guys to figure out how to coexist with, uh, who was yelling at everybody, yelling at the refs, and um, and didn't really totally seem in shape. So I really hope that this is like a fork in the road year for him where he's, you know, he played a lot of basketball. I thought that was the one interesting quote where he said, I've basically been playing basketball for three straight years. That's technically true if you look it up. Like he's played a shitload of basketball. He might be tired, but he's got to regroup and figure this out because this is a potential all-time guy. Like th this is why I give a shit. This isn't, you know, a, a run-of-the-mill dude. This is a guy who had a chance to be the best player of his generation. And this is an embarrassing season for him. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I just would, to reclassify him, I think what you said in the beginning is the right way to look at it. This is a mark, and we wonder if it's a blip or a trend. And it's too early and too short of, of a stretch for me to say this is who he is now. I don't know. Well, I'm looking at my trade value. I had him second. So this is February 3rd. I had Giannis 1, Luka 2, Jokic 3, Curry 4, Tatum 5, and interestingly, Joss 6, which it, that's another guy who I think his ranking's a little different now because... Uh, I would say I'd need to see a little more. Embiid 7. Or less. Zion, Zion 8. Zion's rate, rate is, ranking is cratered. Booker 9, Durant 10, SGA 11, Ant 12, Mobley 13, Halliburton 14, Paolo 15. Um, so yeah, Luka's probably at least passed by Jokic, but he's probably still three considering Curry's 30, 35. Right? I think he's still the third best asset in the league. But I don't yeah, feel good it, about it. Yeah, I mean, you could get into like, well, Golden State would never do that. And you're like, that's not the point of the article. And I, I you know, just to reiterate. Yeah, yeah. it's the uh, Yeah, Shea's probably jumped a few of those dudes. I got to be honest. Mobley, I would have in the top 10 now from what we've seen the last couple months. I know I'm too high on them. I know you're going to make fun of me as we get the defensive player of the year. The funny um, thing is I, I love him. I just, I don't know if he's going to become what you think he's going to be. It'll be an interesting bet for us down the road. If, if Garnett's the comp, I will take the max. Whatever the limit on that bet is, you put me down for it. Okay. We'll take a break, come back, talk about the playoff matchups. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. going to start wearing shorts. going to start wearing bathing suits. Just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve. And what you already excel in, and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina Chicken Menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, 
shredded purple cabbage and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, just quickly, the regular season standings are in. Congratulations to the Detroit Pistons, the winner of the trauma for, y- for Yama sweepstakes. Uh, 17 and 65, did it going away, one by five games. The Spurs were second. They gave, did you see the Spurs? They gave up 50.8% field goal percentage this year. It's almost you know 51%. Too? It's like got to be almost a record, right? You know what? I caught them a couple times down the stretch just because of the, however it worked out. And I'm watching them and I'm going, I'm so proud that they still run stuff, even though they're <laughs> terrible. Right. Like they still run the facade more shit. Of, of caring. No, but I, I actually do mean this is a compliment. What they do on offense, the movement, you know, having guys not just watch and stand around, which plenty of really good teams do. And I'm watching them and it was like, oh, they're losing the second half, whatever. It doesn't matter. Because like Portland had a couple sneaky like games where you're like, remember yeah. that Timberwolves-Portland game? You're like, what is going on with Minnesota? Again, distant memory, you know, those in the moment it can feel. But I just, I don't know, something about San Antonio, because statistically, every time you sorted it, you're like, this team is the worst, um, yet they would still run stuff and Pop was still coaching. So I don't know. I appreciated it. They were second tied with Houston. Charlotte fourth, Portland fifth, Sarudi's Magic in the six hole, which has been a lucky position over the years. There's been some good guys coming out of the six hole. I think they get like nine or 10% for the six hole. And then the dumbass Wizards, 35 and 47, tied with the Pacers. I still don't know what the Wizards are trying to do this year in Utah and uh, in Dallas. So it played out pretty much the way we thought. And then on where the do you want side, him, Where do you want Wambanyama to go? You first. Yeah. Well, I feel what like I really tr- want to, to answer your question, what I really want is the Eli Manning, John Elway scenario. I want to see All player right. empowerment extended to the nth degree where somebody goes, no, nah, actually, I don't want to go to Charlotte. We're going to have to fix this. Can you give me a different team? Charlotte doesn't to, deserve them. Okay. First of all, Charlotte doesn't deserve them. They don't deserve them. I would put them on the number one on top of Mike, like who deserves him the least. It would be them. I, I think I'd want to see Detroit of all the, like the top teams, meaning the worst teams. I don't think San Antonio deserves them either after getting Duncan and Robinson at the same time. Like you had your run. I couldn't agree more. I had, I had Detroit. I think Portland would be fun. Because uh, I do appreciate that Dame has stuck it out and not done the trade request. And, you know, that team wasn't good for every reason, but that would be fun. And then the the jackpot would be Orlando. That Orlando would be the funniest, greatest, like that would instantly become the most fun league pass team. Um, Is he long enough, though, to fit in Orlando's? <laughs> he might not. He's playing my point guard. <laughs> they say, when they, they call Wendell Carter that night, be like, no, no, you're fine. We're going to play this guy at point guard, 7-5. Jonathan um, Isaac demands a trade immediately and Orlando's like, okay. <laughs> you got it. Um, Detroit from uh, walking in, I mean, they have a lot of centers that have to make some trades, but walking into a guy like Cade, I think would be good for him. Um, really anywhere he goes. The, the one team I wouldn't want him to go to is Charlotte. I'm with you. They don't deserve him. I don't think they have a good foundation. 
Uh, they're poorly run. They're currently trying to be sold. I, there's nothing I like about that. And From then, a stable uh, organization part, San Antonio's probably the right call of all of this. But yeah, I think you and I still have some sensitivity to the Duncan stuff. And on top of yeah. everything else, Spurs fans saying that, oh, no, 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 that, was, that wasn't by design. Like, okay. <laughs> sure. Cool. All right. I think the, the most fun wildcard team is the Wizards. Just putting them in a fairly big market. I mean, they have had nothing good happen to them for 40 years. So that'd be pretty fun. Okay. So the plans, we have the seven, eight games on Tuesday night. We have Miami, Atlanta, which the Celtics will be watching wearing Atlanta jerseys, hoping that Atlanta can somehow get to the seven. We have Lakers, Minnesota, which we discussed earlier. And then on Wednesday, we have Pelicans, OKC, which will lead um, a lot of people to say during uh, that day that we haven't spent enough time talking about Shea Gilgis Alexander will be a thing you hear that day. And then we have Toronto, Chicago. And Toronto is a team that looks like a, a Cancun team, as Jalen used to call those teams, that the bags are packed and they're ready to go on spring break. Coaches on their way out. Um, the Bulls at least have seemed like they have a little pride. They found something with uh, with Caruso and um, DeRozan and Levine seem to like each other lately. I just, to me, that's the one that jumped out to me. It's like, oh, I think Chicago is going to kill Toronto. Which, which one of those four do you like? What are you excited about? Yeah, I really do think Chicago's kind of figured some stuff out here, but Toronto also finished 15 and 10, you know, and, and Chicago went from 31 and 37 to 40 and 42. So it's actually kind of a matchup of two teams that I would say are generally disappointing based on where they finished. Uh, Toronto led the regular season series 2-1. But man, when you start playing that game, like you got to go back and look up everybody who played. Or you who can't do it play. anymore. I. Oh my god! I tried to do that for a couple <laughs> of the matchups, and it's like, all right, this is stupid. <laughs> this game, I did Davis it. Didn't like, play that game, Curry didn't play. Like you go crazy, right? Like New Orleans beat Oklahoma City three out of four, and I was like, oh, they must have had everybody, except they didn't. Zion played one of the games. Ingram played one of the games. So, uh, and SGA played in all four, and he like was pretty good. And so, you know, then it can be a coming scheduling thing, which every home fan base, you know, no one's ever won the second on a back-to-back. So I like what Chicago's done, but Toronto has has figured out a way here to kind of carry themselves defensively the last 25 games. Um, you know, one of the things that I do think is actually more than just a weird deal here, Miami's won 10 of the last 13, including the playoffs against the Hawks. And Trey, this year, he's just, he was terrible in the playoff series. You could argue it was because of injuries, and he was the only option. Miami figures out Trey. One game, anything can happen, but against the Hawks, or excuse me, yeah, Miami going up against Trey, like 36 from the floor, 21% from three. So I think Spo just already pencils in, like, okay, we know exactly what we're going to do, and it's going to be up to Trey to figure out, like, your ISO dribble the ball the entire possession bullshit like you're going to have to change it up which I can see Quinn Snyder has been doing proactively trying to get him off the ball more uh, since he took over but that's something that feels like more than just a one season snapshot because Miami's dominated the series I'd be shocked if Miami lost that game you know I'm looking at the lines on FanDuel maybe I'm wrong on Toronto Toronto's favored by five in that Bulls game I don't see that at all. I think the Bulls are going to win, but something's going on. There's some sort of intel. New Orleans is favored by five and a half over OKC. Lakers are favored by seven. 
and Miami is favored by five against the Hawks. And I'm with you. I, it, it, Miami seems very, very comfortable against the Hawks. So let's say if Miami wins, uh, whoever Milwaukee plays, they're going to beat. But if Miami wins, that brings up the uh, the Boston-Miami matchup that we've all the Celtics fans have been kind of secretly dreading for a while. Philly-Brooklyn 3-6, Cleveland-New York 4-5. I think those are two great series. I'm really excited for both of them. I mean, Cleveland-New York, depending on when Randall comes back, um, I think has so many fun subplots and I just like watching both of those teams. I love that series. <sighs> you know, whether it's the storyline stuff, which is all kind of played out at this point, you know, it's worked out. Brunson's been beyond. Uh, I would have loved to see Randall play almost the full season um, because he kind of revived himself there a little bit and the quickly part of this and the closing lineup options they have, you know, even though the Barrett stuff probably hasn't been consistent enough and they've been really good against Cleveland. So even though I think I like Cleveland better, Nick, the Knicks have shown in these games against them, and I'd have to go back and look at, like, make sure who was playing or who wasn't, or if they caught him a couple times without Jared Allen. Uh, I think it's a grind-out series, despite some of the numbers that tell you Cleveland's a superior team. And there's the Mitchell X factor of, you guys didn't trade for me, I'm going to come back to haunt you. And that, to me, that's the matchup that's going to decide the series one way or the other, because he's, I have him my first team on BA. He's been really good this year. But I could also see him trying to prove it to the point that, you know, he might try to shoot them out of a game or whatever, when, especially when we get to MSG. I'm going to be really interested. His clutch stats were surprisingly not that good this year, his last five minutes stuff, which I thought was interesting. Um, but in general, I like the matchup. I think there's fun villains on both sides or playoff villains like Josh Hart. Cleveland fans are going to hate that dude by game, game five, all the Two stuff he does, which I love. And then the, the 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 Philly Brooklyn series, um, which you would have said was oh that'll be Philly in a walk off a month ago, but the way Bridges is playing, I'm I'm at least interested to watch a couple games of that. Yeah, the Brooklyn thing is is kind of weird because I feel like we overrate them as a team because they finished 45 and 37, and we of course thought they were going to fall apart, right? So the trade they traded Durant. And Kyrie, what that first week of February, and I think yeah, their first ten record, days of February, yeah. So their best record at that point was thirty-two and twenty. So, granted, they had to kind of figure this thing out on the fly. But if you go thirty-two and twenty, that means they went thirteen and seventeen since then. But they don't feel like a thirteen and seventeen team, even though it's a completely different team. And I think we expected them to fall off the map. And they were competitive, and they won some nice games. They beat Denver. That, that, at Denver, they beat Boston in Boston, which was probably the worst game for the Celtics all season long to blow a 28-point lead to that team. So I feel like the Nets are actually getting a little bit more credit than they deserve based on the fact that they've been a sub-500 team since they've reinvented themselves, which is still a compliment to the group. But I, I feel like people are taking them way too seriously as a contender here. I mean, the Sixers can't, can't like get into a seven-game series with that group. Right, <laughs> I just the the Doc Rivers James Harden history. I'm prepared for anything. You make a good point on the Nets, though. So they had a five game winning streak and or losing streak in mid March. They lost to OKC, Sacramento, Denver, and Cleveland twice. And then they finished the season six. They went went six and two down the stretch, but you know they played 
Houston, they played Utah, they played Detroit, they played Orlando, they played teams that had vested interest in not playing. I think what's been fascinating to me, and House and I talked about it a little on Thursday night, is the fact that Bridges has actually become a guy you can go to at the end of these games. I just didn't see it. I never expected that side of him. So you think when you lose Durant, you lose Kyrie, it's this fun team of role guys, but ah, well, ultimately, you know, who's going to be the guy? But there is something with them. Like they're just frisky enough that I hope Philly doesn't think, oh, we're just going to walk all over these people. But the way Embiid's playing, it would be all time shocking if Philly didn't dispatch this team. Um, but at least it'll be fun. My, I guess my point is there's really no bad East series if Chicago gets in, um, even or if Toronto gets in. I guess the only matchup that I just feel like I, I wouldn't want to watch is Milwaukee Atlanta. I just don't think I, I think Atlanta's drawn dead in that series, right? Against Milwaukee? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a watchable series. No, I, I'd be shocked if it were, just because if you've watched Atlanta, I mean, did you see that Sixers lost the other day? Yeah. Like the Sixers didn't even play anybody and they still lost to them. Uh, I think Atlanta's a mess. I think they're a mess. And I, agree. I would be shocked if all of a sudden, like, it's one thing if you've got a title under your belt or maybe a couple finals appearances where it's like Golden State. You know what I mean? With Golden State, I'm ready for anything. I'm open to anything with them, despite the numbers and the road record and all this stuff. Like, if they have their five guys, I'm probably not writing them off, you know? But with an Atlanta team, you can't carry yourself like this and then have me go, well, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt when. But like, what do we have? We we have the Easter Conference final, uh, the Easter Conference Finals after they, you know, obviously beat the Sixers. It's really tough. They go all in on that Murray trade, then they trade Herder, and you could argue they might have been just better off not doing anything, keeping Herder, kind of seeing what they have, and then making their decisions. Um, in the West, Denver is going to play the eight seed. Memphis is probably going to play the Lakers unless the Lakers blow that playing game. I think that's a really brutal matchup for Memphis, like really bad. Um, Sacramento, Golden State, and then Phoenix and the Clippers. Phoenix Clippers, and also we're going to get, um, we're going to get, it looks like, I'm assuming it's Memphis Lakers. Those games three and four, we're going to have the people pouring through the uh, the crypto center for, for basically three, four straight days. We have John Morant, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kawhi Leonard, maybe Paul George. Like that's just going to be unbelievable from a basketball fan standpoint. Um, I think my favorite series of all of these is Sacramento Golden State. I don't think it's going to be a lot a of single fun. minute of that series. Yeah, yeah, it it sucks for Sacramento though. It, it really does. I mean, you know, in the regular season, that's another one. When I was looking at it, Golden State's. I think three and one this year against them. And that most recent game, granted they were, you know, Sacramento wasn't going for it. Uh, so that also kind of leads to some of their stuff. But like, you have to admit if you're a Kings fan, you're like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> right? Like that's the only, like you may lie and tweet about publicly, like how confident you are and you're going to let everybody have it. But are you picking Sacramento in that series? I'm not. I'm going the other way. If I'm a Kings fan, first of all, I haven't made the playoffs since 2005, so I can't believe we made it. Second, the way this bracket shook out, they could get Golden State first round, Lakers second round now. 
This is their two nemesises, right? Golden State's their rich older brother an hour down um, that's gotten all the glory and they've they've basically been the black sheep. And then the Lakers, that's the team from 2002. I, I would be looking at it like, holy shit, we can correct all of our franchise warts, ills, everything in the span of four weeks. We could beat the Warriors and the Lakers and make the Western Finals. That is now sitting there for us. I like that team. I, I, I think people have cooled off on them. They were kind of stuck in the two or three seed for a while. And I do think like teams let up a little bit, you know. Um, I still kind of like that team. I think they're hard to play. That You have to score a lot of points. Home crowd is going to be there. They're going to have a game seven at home if it happens. And we've seen this Warriors team has not traveled very well to say the least. So I don't know. I, I haven't decided what I'm doing that. I'm not as, I'm not as sold on the Warriors as you are on that series. Yeah, I am. I, I feel really confident about that one. I just do. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I'm going to need your defense to be like average. Yeah. For me to pick you against a Golden State team that already knows all the tricks. Golden State's yeah. never taking the floor against anybody. And I would think even more so with Sacramento, thinking they're actually going to lose that game. And, you know, maybe Sacramento gets the first one and it changes their entire mentality. Uh, that first game is going to mean a lot to them. Like, you can fake confidence all you want. Golden State's not faking it. Like, that's not bullshit from their side of it because of everything they've been going through here for almost a decade. So, getting Wiggins back, having the Looney option, knowing that it's not a size matchup where they're really worried about it, where it's not Draymond having to worry about how he's going to match up with Jokic for the minutes where Looney's not, you know, wasting four or five fouls on him. Like, they don't even have to worry about that issue. And Draymond's going to harass the shit out of Sabonis. They're going to have wings. I still don't understand why the Wiggins part, he couldn't just suit up for something, but maybe he just hadn't done anything active for such a long time. I have no idea what to read on that, so maybe that was part of it. Uh, Clay has been really good now, too, for a long stretch, which I think is almost lost in what's been still like not a full-blown resurgence from Golden State, but I wouldn't say I loved what I've seen from them to close the season. I like what I've seen from them. They played some fun games in the first uh, couple weeks of the season, including one that was, I think, the third game that was 130 to 125 Golden State, where everybody played. Fox is a tough matchup for Golden State. They, they're going to have to play Peyton because I don't think anybody else who they play in their regular rotation is going to be able to stay in front of him. And then Sabonis is just like, those type of centers have always given... Uh, Jokic is like this too, like those weird, those European centers, like good passing, like, uh, just thoughtful offensive centers, I think have succeeded against them over the years. Cause it's kind of neutralizes all the stuff Draymond's great at. That's so different. I think it's going to be a really fun series. I'm looking forward to that. And then the Phoenix Clippers thing, you know, we get Kawhi versus KD on top of all the other storylines. Um, it's other than LeBron, you could say that it's. KD or Kawhi for best player of the last 10 years? And KD's Steph? probably in the lead? No, for I'm sorry, for best forward other than oh. LeBron? Okay. For that, that other, other forward than spot LeBron. we were doing. Right. Well, I'm saying LeBron won. Yeah. And then probably KD two and Kawhi three, but Kawhi also has the title that he won with an, a team where he was by far the best guy. That's the one thing KD does now. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, what By the else? Way, Any other storylines? Uh, no, I, I want to say in the Phoenix thing, you know Durant's 8-0 since he got there, right? 
They won all eight games that he's played. And the funny thing is I was watching that Denver game, and there were a lot of games like this to close the regular season where you could tell the superior team was kind of like, let's see what's going to happen and maybe we'll close this thing out. It even happened today again with the Clippers against Phoenix, but there was the Phoenix-Denver game where Denver was sitting everybody and it still was bothering me. You know, I was watching Phoenix going, are they still 100% sure they know what they want to do or who they want to be or is Chris Paul forcing the issue Right, enough? do you need the reps? Right, like there's some kickouts to Chris Paul where I'm like, why are you not shooting that anymore? And then he upfakes and he'll take the shot or it'll be thrown back out to him and he's taking it a little bit later. And I'm like, man, you used to take that earlier. You're wide open. You make that shot, even if those shooting has been in decline for a bit. And then, you know, Durant's not actually going to force the issue. And then it felt like other times where it's like, man, is Booker getting ignored? And then, you know, like that, that Denver game's a perfect example of it because I'm sitting there being like super nitpicky of it. And Phoenix scored, I think, what, 120? <laughs> 119 in that game. And I'm like, all right, what am I complaining about here? Maybe it's because I just expect them to smoke them, but it's that old Doc Rivers line about like, I'd rather everybody play so your team doesn't let up. And that's what we saw these last couple of weeks is the superior team just letting up all the time. So I I wish eight were better. I'm okay with now admitting that I think he's kind of in that, man, you're just kind of not as good as you're supposed to be thing. But as the fourth option, that still makes me like them enough. Like it's it, it's just the, the Durant part of it is so weird because they didn't lose a game since they've had him in the lineup, and I think everybody should be picking him, and it doesn't it doesn't feel that way. Maybe that's Phoenix's own fault because of what happened last year and how many people think Chris Paul is going to screw it up. I'm glad you brought up Durant. Do you know what his record is this year, just for the 2022-23 season? Uh what like do you think it is? And, He's played 47 games. How many games do you think he won? All right. Like 37 of them? Yeah, 34 and 13. He, he averaged 29, 7, and 5, and that includes the game he got hurt. He shot 56%, 40% from three, and 92% free throw. He's not going to make my all-NBA team because he didn't even come close to my 55-game limit, but it did make me think like, you know the Oscars where they have like the honorary Oscars and like two people, it's like the basically career achievement Oscar. I do wonder if they should have that for NBA seasons. And they just like, there's two extra people that they just, it's like the three all NBA teams and then two other spots where they're like special recognition for these two seasons. And that, so then just historically it could be measured. So would you give Zion, would, totally would you give Zion the Durant. other spot? <laughs> I would not. Zion wins it six years in a row. <laughs> I would do Durant. And I think I would actually do Anthony Davis. Because I think his 55 games or 56, whatever it ended up being, were really impactful. It wasn't good enough for him to get one of those three All-NBA spots. But he was a really important player this season. So it's almost like special recognition, Kevin Durant, and then uh, and Anthony Davis, and then... I would have a dishonorable mention and I would have Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. Dishonorable mention. I would also put that on the record. Would Gobert replace Kyrie before the ballots close? Gobert is on there too. Gobert, dishonorable mention. Maybe there should be a dishonorable mention all of the A team. The five most disappointing players. That would be um, awesome if the league just said, yeah. and then we have our, our first team super bummed you out all season, guys. That would be so much fun to vote on. <laughs> We don't need a second team. Well, Just Zion's one. definitely on that one. <laughs> yeah, Zion's definitely on that. 
I was, I said to, uh, I was theorizing, I think it was the house that instead of the positionless stuff, I would just, cause we talked about it a week ago that I would have a list of the top 12 players, just the best players of the season, regardless of positions or anything, games played, just who are the best 12 guys? Cause that, then that's the list you'd have to put Durant on, right? Durant's been one of the best seven guys this season. If, if he had played 10 more games, he's at least second team on NBA, but because he got that second injury, he doesn't make it, but he was one of the best players of the season. So that's where the NBA kind of goes sideways. You're just smiling like a maniac. No, because we, we've talked about it a little bit. Like, I'd rather they use that than some of the all-NBA stuff, which is, I think, why the motivation to make it positionless, despite your historic stance on it, which I would agree with a little bit, too. But, you know, there's a team in Utah now in Minnesota that was like, just because this guy was eligible as an all-NBA player, we're going to pay Gobert how much again? So if, if it right. becomes a true representation of who the top 15 guys were or your make-believe top 12 that would qualify you for the Supermax, I'm for that because I don't think there should be some kind of drought. It's not going to happen with guards. It could happen with forwards. It's happened with centers. Uh, but I know you and KOC talked about, I think you called the podcast, our centers having a moment. And it's true. Yeah. Like the center position just feels deeper. Um, and, you know, some of it's a little stupid too. Like, uh, I don't want to be called a center, but you're basically playing center. So, you know, Anthony Davis... I, you know, I, granted, when I do my all NBA, I felt like I was breaking the rules a little bit with it, but uh, I, I'd be I'd be open to it. I mean, it's a, it's a clear thing, but I don't know that I want a whole extra thing that I have to vote on here too. Because after prepping for this vote, I spent so much time on this thing that I'm like spent, spent. Let's take a break and we'll talk awards. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, so we're... At this point, it's late Sunday afternoon. We don't have to hand in our votes till tomorrow. And I still have a couple that I'm, I'm uh, confused on. We both have Palo for Rookie of the Year, so we don't need to talk about that. Who did you I have do, second? I do want to commend Jalen Jalen Williams. I thought he was awesome. Who do you have third? That, especially second half of the year, he was like 18. I have Kessler third. Who'd you have third? Kessler. Yeah. Edwards? He's not a rookie. Um, Walker. Then... uh. Defensive player of the year. I think the hardest ever. Impossible. Jaron Jackson is favored and just completely violates, I don't know, a rule that I'd, I'd, I value. Like, did you play enough? He didn't even get to 1,800 minutes. And I, I get that he was super impactful in those 1,800 minutes, but Man, I, I think we're really cutting it close. And there there was two examples in the past. One was like within the last five years of Gobert. One, I think, in 2018 and had around the same games and minutes. Uh, I remember specifically not voting for Gobert that year. But um, I can't get there with Triple J. I'm not going to vote for him. So I'd, I'll, I'll start there. Are you voting for Triple J as your defensive player of the year? The block rate is so insane that I was like, wait, is this what I'm doing? Defensive player of the year and the defensive first and second teams 
other than MVP were the hardest things. And in a way, it was it was even harder. Yeah. Because you and that's the thing with the ballots, you kind of have to just finally get to a point with it where you go, Hey, it's not perfect, man. It's not perfect. There's not gonna be a perfect ballot this year. So I went with Mobley. Wow. I'm I can't tell you how excited I am because I also went with Mobley. No, you didn't. Did I had you him really? and Draymond Green. I swear to God, I had him and Draymond as my final two. I ruled out Brooke Lopez because I get it. The stats are amazing. The eye test, he was awesome. But he's the third best defensive player in his team. I can't get past that. He is not a better defensive player than Drew Holiday and Giannis. And part of what made him so great, and I'm admitting that he was great for what he was supposed to do, he got to play with Drew Holiday and Giannis, and that allows you to just worry about certain things and be really good at them. Um, I couldn't get there with him. And the Triple J thing, just for people listening, 63 games, 28.4 minutes a game, uh, did not get to 1,800 minutes. Mobley played 930 more minutes than him. I test, well, you make the case, and I'll, I'll see if you missed anything. I'll chime in. All right, so I kind of went into every award with like my eye test position. And then I would check the numbers and I would either have the numbers go like, wait a minute, you might be doing this wrong. Or the eye test would fight back and be like, what's the fucking point of sitting on your couch Alexis this month, last six months, if you're just going to start sorting all this stuff out. There were moments with Mobley where I felt like he could do anything he wanted to defensively. The only time that it looked bad was against Embiid because physically it just wasn't going to happen. You could also, if you're a Bucks fan, counter with like, well, wait a minute, you know, he's also got Jared Allen back there. But what I love about Mobley, and this is kind of back to your Garnett thing, is that it looks like when he switches onto smaller players, he's not giving anything up. And as great as Lopez's stats were, there's a rim differential where Giannis, like the the field goal percentage went down by like 17 percentage points. I don't know if I have that exactly right, but I just know where he was. It was beyond everybody else. So I'm like, yeah. so you have Giannis as the low man helper on anything that Brooke is doing while he's also in drop coverage, while Drew is also ruining pick and rolls if he wants to, or shutting down a guy off the ball if it's a wing. And so it may seem unfair to Brooke when you look at the full contest numbers, like the full contested shot numbers for Brooke Lopez are fucking crazy. Like he's 17 and a half contests a game. <laughs> I saw that. All right. It's it's like um, five more than everybody else. But it's 16 as as two pointers. So if you're going to argue, hey, Brooke is this and, and Brooke is all these different things, I'm not actually going to tell you they're wrong. I think it kind of circled back to like the moments where I felt like Mobley blocked the big guy that was driving at him. Mobley switched onto a smaller guard and shut him off. Mobley came over to help at the rim, leaving his guy with these amazing instincts and in blocking the basketball. Uh, I know there's some metrics that favor Mobley too. That wasn't it. It was just all the nights of watching this guy going like, holy shit, and rewinding it going. Did he just do that? And yeah, I feel like with the defensive stuff, I kind of went back to eye test a little bit more because a lot of the defensive numbers, although like a good foundation for it, I wouldn't want that making my decision because I know that can be a little fucked up too. Cleveland had the best defense in the league. That matters. The counter argument for Jaron Jackson is when he came back from his injury, they became the best defense in the league, but well, he missed those games. We wrote a big feature about Mobley. Jared Allen said to, uh, to the ringer quote, his help side defense. It's not said enough how much that helps our, well, it really is our defense. And I think that's a key point because they have Mitchell and Garland as their guards. 
Yep. And Allen as the rim protector. But what they really need in any switch or whatever, they somebody who could just guard anybody, right? In any sort of switch pick and roll. And that was the thing that over and over again, like there's some good stats with Mobley. He was first in contested three-pointers per game, 3.6. He was third in most contested shots, 11.5. Trailed just Lopez and Nick Claxton. He was first in defensive wood shares. He was fifth in switching when defending screens and pick and rolls. He was ninth in guarding isolations. He was top 20 field goal percentage at the rim. Uh, He played big minutes. He played 35 minutes a game. He played 2,700 like 15 minutes for the season. He didn't, he was in the lineup all year. And I just thought he was the most important defensive player. If Jaron Jackson had played 10 more games, fine. Um, the way to pick apart the mobile case is the per possession on off. There's some on off stuff and you could get, um, you can nick him for. But he kind of had to play backup center for them, which I don't think he's big enough to do. And if you look at the lineups where he got to play with Allen, um, the stats are really good. And yeah, they dropped when he had to be the center on these smaller lineups, but they probably should have kind of held the fort. I don't know. I thought, I thought he was the most important guy that I saw this year. And that was the top five team. My other guy was Draymond. And I looked at it and I looked at it because I, Draymond's the other eye test one, especially when you look at who's on that Golden State team. Um, the fact that they finished, what, five, six games over 500. And he's really the only elite you know, defensive guy they had other than Wiggins who only played 37 games. Um, So that was the other one I was thinking. And I really battled back and forth, but I just feel like the Warriors, like they just weren't good enough defensively to be like, oh, they had the defensive player of the year. And I I just couldn't get there. He's won before. So Mobley, I don't feel great about it, but I think it's the right pick. It seems like you do too. Yeah, wouldn't scream about it. No, I could be wrong. But I went with Jackson second, uh, not just because of the block rate, but you know some of these these awards where you get to go head to head with the other guy. Uh, yeah. That could be when you know the minutes can be a tiebreaker. But you know I don't know who could ever do this where you're like, hey, this is consistently my standard every single time. I think when it's MVP, the minutes thing should matter. When it's all NBA, you got to get a little looser with your rules for it. And for Defensive Player of the Year. And the times where I'd watch Mobley going, and not like I'm not watching Jaron Jackson do stuff where I'm like, what the fuck did he just do? That's crazy. Uh, and then yeah. maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a throwaway here, but I put Drew third just because I felt like when Drew had to kind of ruin what you were doing at the point of attack, he did it better than anybody else in the NBA this year, even though Caruso deserves to be mentioned. He'll be all NBA defensive, I think maybe first team for me. I know OG and an OB, you know, we start talking about some of the other wings, but I had a really hard time whittling this. There were so many awesome candidates for it, but I was kind of surprised towards the end. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting it right with the Brook pick because of the other two teammates and the system. So that's what I did. Cleveland gave up 106.9 points a game, which was three points better than everybody else in the league. Golden State gave up. 117.3 117.3 points a game, which was 22nd out of 30. And that was ultimately why I went with Moby. I had Drew third as well, but I, I didn't have, uh, I had Draymond second. I didn't have, I didn't have Jaron Jackson in my top three as, as good as he was. Um, I just think the minutes thing matters. You know, it's not just that he missed a bunch of games, but that he doesn't play a ton of minutes when he plays. And I think that when you know you're only to play 28 minutes, 
I think you can play a little bit differently. Like now that Adams is out, now that you see him with a bigger minute load, I think it's hard to challenge every single shot to be like, oh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if I get five fouls, we, we're deep. They're not deep anymore. And I don't think he's going to be able to play the same way. I thought he was awesome though. I mean, he, he definitely, he's way up there. I don't think there was a completely right choice. So I'm with you. Um, let's go to, <laughs> what'd you do for the clutch award? I, first of all, I couldn't believe, I thought I came onto it on the ballot and I was like, oh my God, we're actually voting for that. I gave it to Rich Paul. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just gave it to De'Aaron Fox, the differential. Yeah. You know, that one is, that one's, uh, I mean, they're basically telling you to look at the sortable clutch stats. You know, how could you sort those and go, well, actually all these stats are bad, but he's my guy. <laughs> Yeah. Although Kobe probably no, would have right. won it. Kobe would have won it like one year shooting 21% on last second shot attempts. Be like, oh, that <laughs> fucking guy. So th those 21% were great. I can't believe you voted for Mobley. I, I literally, I was on the phone with multiple friends this weekend being like, I think I'm going to be the only one who votes for Mobley. And I didn't want to talk to you about it because I wanted to save it for the pod. But I, I was just like, I, I actually don't understand why he's not more of like a favorite for it because it usually goes to the somebody who's on the team's best defense or the best defense in the league, which I think Cleveland's been. Anyway, um, all right. Whew. MVP time. Who do you have? You don't want to do coach of the year? Oh, let's do coach of the year. Well, it's Mike Brown. We both have Mike Brown, right? Yeah. Uh, well, and did you have the OKC guy second? <laughs> he still can't pronounce his name. I'm not saying his name. I'll fuck it up. Dagnalt? That's pretty good. Yeah. Good stuff. You, you need to trust yourself a little bit. I more. have him second. Danio? JJ? Any relation to JJ? I have uh, Danio as my second coach. My third My third one is going to shock you, and I can't wait to see your face. Shock me? Yep. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Missoula. It's not. It's not Missoula. I have Doc Rivers. Yeah, I'm shocked. Nobody's trashed Doc Rivers more than you have. There's no way he actually likes you, despite supposedly working it out. There's no way he likes you. I think he likes me. Um, you do? I thought he did a good job this year. What, are, what is the job of that team? For a, I have to inspire and, and protect Joel Embiid and get him in the right frame of mind night after night to be awesome. Doc's at least a little piece of that. I have to get this new version of James Harden out and really facilitate that and hope that that works out. Well, James Harden, this version of him, I really enjoyed watching. I have to make sure Maxie's cool with all of this, right? Maxie could be the second best guy in a lot of teams, or at least the second best scorer. Are you going to be cool? Well, let me try off the bench. No, that doesn't work. You know what? We're actually going to switch that again. How do I keep you happy? He managed to do it. They've been one of the three best teams really since November. And I thought he did a good job. I say that knowing like that it. in the playoffs, he could completely screw up. But I thought regular season, I thought he really did a good job. I don't think that's an easy team to coach. That's a team that you can run on their their transition defense stats are alarming and appalling. And I think that's a reason why if you're going to ding and beat in the MVP stuff, when people do the Jokic rim protection thing, 
I think you have to mention how bad Philly's transition defense is and how certain teams have just run them off the floor. And it's partly because Embiid and Harden don't really run back. Um, but I think Doc did a good job. So he would be my third pick. I like the pick. I, I really do because I think they also deserve a lot of credit of going like, you know, all those years of wasting Joel despite the stats where it's like, can't we make this guy's fucking life easier? Can't we figure out a way to get him the basketball in a better spot? And this, and this they free did. throw thing, this free throw thing for him is, and I'm not talking about free throw attempts. I'm talking about him positionally off that side pick and roll and just catching it. And like, if you're not ready for it, he's just going to, he's going to eat all fucking night. Um, so yeah. And I, you know, maybe he's going to be better in the playoffs because there aren't a lot of variations here. Like the McDaniels, they're McDaniels, Jalen. I don't know why he would be playing playoff minutes. People can knock the P.J. Tucker stuff. Hey, when the shot isn't going in, everybody shits on it. But his corner three numbers are pretty good. And I'm sure they're going to want to close with P.J. in playoff games because they're going to want a guy that's been through some wars and is ready to fight everybody. And then you factor in Maxi. I think the only other decision really is um, Anthony Melton's superior to Milton. I, I, you know, some of the stuff that Milton does defensively, his instincts, or like the way they'll close out on some players. I mean, kind of all those. They have like a lot of the role players. I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing on defense? Like, why do you guys close out hard on guys that are non-shooting threats? Uh, the getting back on defense will be really interesting because it's not really Embiid's fault. You know, as a guard, you're the one that has to figure that out. And you would think Harden during the playoffs would be like, hey, maybe now I have to get back or you know, the other guard that doesn't shoot if it's Harden's shot. The other guard has to get back. Usually when Harden's the other guard, he's not super interested in doing any of that stuff. But when I look at their rotation and the decisions that Doc's faced with, I would feel like they're somewhat minimal. So that would be less of a chance to be second-guessed. My pick was Willie Green. We had talked. Hmm. I know you got a little pissed at me when we talked about most disappointing storylines. We didn't get to it. So then I used it for my Tuesday Open because I had prepped it all. And then I said to you, my prep was going to go bad. And I don't think you love that response. So I'm sorry. I didn't, but, I didn't really care. We're okay. good. Well, all right. We didn't hear, I didn't hear from you again for days afterwards. I never know. So <laughs> I <laughs> just that, just that the Pelicans <laughs> went from the most disappointing team and then figuring it out again. And that's Ingram, obviously CJ and Murphy hitting shots as well, that they're still, that they're back in this. Granted, the loss today kind of sucks. These, these were massive massive emotional swings for a franchise that we all loved in the beginning of the year. Zion pulled his hamstring in January, and we haven't seen him since. They went through this massive blazes. When Ingram came back, they still weren't good. You're like, what? Like, yeah. You guys can't be this bad. And again, despite what happened today in game 82, for them to turn this around, I thought was, was a big credit to him. Kind of, It looked like this was going in the other direction a few weeks ago, and they turned it around. I like that. I think that was a good case. All right, what do you have for MVP? Okay, uh, I've changed my mind a lot this season. You know, I think everybody kind of liked the Tatum story, although it didn't seem realistic that he was going to win MVP. Then I felt like Jokic held it down for a couple months. Then there was an Embiid flirtation. And then I was pretty convinced it was going to be Giannis for me for a few weeks. Uh, the arguments were like, look, he's still the best player. They ended up getting the one seed, which is pretty remarkable considering Middleton, when he played in 33 games this year, is the worst he's been in six years. Yeah. And I wanted to not make it complicated, even though I felt like, as you know, if you've prepped this, if you wanted to do a 20-minute presentation on any of the three guys, 
your presentation would sound like there was no other option. And that's the problem with this year is you have three great options. So I went through it all again. And the Embiid clutch stuff, um, not just the metrics, Embiid's the choice. And I thought it was going to be Giannis all week. I have him too. And I think it's the right choice. And the only thing that annoys me about it is how annoying the Philly infrastructure was um, with some of the shit they pulled the last two months. Or two years. it should be more fun to... Well, it should be more fun to figure this stuff out. And it shouldn't be... um, If if people don't like your choice, then that means you hate their team or their player. Embiid was better this year than he was last year. It's just a fact. He offensively... I thought was one of the best scoring centers I've ever watched in my life. And I was there, not a lot of TV of 1982 Moses, but he put up 31 a game, which was a fucking shitload back then. Robinson put up 30 a game, Shaq put up 30 a game. But for the most part, this was a historic scoring season. He averaged 33 a game. And it wasn't the old school overpowering people like Shaq. This was like real creative stuff. Um, The stuff that he figured out finally around the around the free throw line, like you can see it from the numbers. His 10 through 16 feet, 43% last year is 51% this year. Last year from 16 plus, 43%. This year, 50%. Like he just, there was slightly better. It was just, felt slightly different, slightly more efficient, slightly more dominant. It's just something was different. And, um, you know, I hate the recency bias piece of it because some of his best games were in the last couple months. Jokic, like for instance, on Christmas, when he fucking eviscerated the Suns, he was like 45, 20 and 15, whatever. Like, I think we tend to remember the recent ones. Um, but I think when you when you consider the pressure that that team had, um, the fact that it felt like a do or die year for them in a lot of ways, the fact that he played the most games that he's played and he was playing 35 minutes a game with a lot of stuff running through him, um, he's a good defensive player. And I think it's the right choice. And I, I said this to House a few days ago, like if I look at these last five years, Giannis having two and Jokic having two and Embiid having one, kind of feels right for the last five. Like I, I, I hate bringing past years into the MVP, but if Jokic wasn't like, oh my God, he's 100% the MVP again, it's really hard to vote the three in a row is like sacred. You know, like I really have to feel like, oh my God, you were definitely 100% the MVP. I thought Embiid was like just a whiff better. Um, And I I actually, I thought defensive player of the year was harder, to be honest. I thought by the time we got to the end of the year, especially because it felt like Jokic and Denver kind of punted on this stuff and, and didn't seem like they cared, which is fine, but it made the decision easier, you know? Yeah, I mean, Jokic and Denver, he cost himself this one. He did. Yeah, I think he did. You know, they could say, oh, well, it doesn't matter as much to him. Okay, no shit. Congrats on not caring about this stuff as much. But, you know, at one point they were 46 and 19 and they closed their last 17 games, 7 and 10. And I know Jokic didn't play in a couple of those. The recency bias thing is impossible to ignore. I try to go month to month. Um, Yeah. The historic part of it, I ignore it. But it's impossible for the 100 voters. Like, I'm telling you, I ignore it. But I still think like last year, Giannis probably would have won last year if he had never won before. And I voted him second. 
like last year, I didn't have a hard time with this. So the only hesitation that like you would hear in my voice is that it just was really hard. This was really fucking hard. And that's why I think anybody that has a vote that catches shit from any of the fan bases, you're like, you know, I don't want to hear it. You're just arguing your guy and being completely dismissive. So for me to build the case for Embiid, I don't really even want to shit on the other two guys because there's not really much to pick from. Denver limped to the finish line. Maybe that's because their own standings thing, but that's what happened. Uh, you know, if Jokic wanted to, like there was a game the other night where he took like three shots. You know, I was like, wait, is he going to try to go for like the season triple double and even care about that? Um, and Giannis, like there's some on off stuff. You know, and some of the advanced stuff he doesn't hold up against the other guys. That's not everything. The clutch stuff was really weird, and Embiid was incredible in it. I mean, Giannis is the better defender. I think the Embiid stuff at the rim is great. I think some of the other stuff on the perimeter, it can actually be a weakness for them, depending on his mood that night. And Jokic is asked to cover a lot more ground, but clearly he's not even close to the defensive presence, especially around the rim, despite what some of the numbers have for him. Uh, But I feel good about it, but the only part of it is that it was really, I don't know if you agree, I, I felt it was so hard. It was so hard to go, hey, so anybody's like, oh, no, you guys are idiots. Like, Embiid was a slam dunk. It wasn't It wasn't for no, me. Well, none of the guys got to 70 games, which we, you know, this is, I, Kaus and I covered this on Thursday, but this is one of the rare seasons where, you know, the durability piece you had to almost throw out. It was the main reason Jokic won a couple years ago. Um you know, it's the Giannis season, he missed 19 games, right? I don't feel like it was the best Giannis season just in general. I, I think for whatever reason, like even that that shooting range thing I mentioned before, outside of three feet, he's shooting 35%, just in all categories, four, four feet and on. And the eye test kind of backs it up. He doesn't seem as automatic in those spots. Like I always liked him in that 10 to 16 foot range and he hasn't, been the same guy in that spot. I just, I don't feel like this was a special Giannis season by any stretch. And it goes back to the MVP, that thing where I had the four rules for the MVP that I've been doing since my ESPN.com column in like 04. And one of them was, who's the first guy you're going to think of when you think of the regular season, right? Because this is a regular season award. Who's the first guy you're going to think of? And for me, it would be Embiid. Because when you think about his backstory, and I remember watching him work out in 2014 and coming out of the workout and being like, the, and I wrote about it, like this guy has to be the number one pick. I mean, that, this is ridiculous. Then he gets hurt. And then the process and comes back, the Kawhi shot, um, breaks his face in that other playoff series. The Ben Simmons thing just completely flames out. Like there were so many ways this could have gone wrong. And for him to hit the point that he hit this year as a basketball player, I thought it was really meaningful. So I feel good about voting for him for MVP. I yeah, think it's the too. right pick. I just was, it was really tough. Like other years, it's easier. Uh, this one was really tough because I felt like with Giannis, but I would never use like the head to head. But when Milwaukee beat him not that long ago, and that's why like Doc annoyed me a little bit being like, hey, this thing's over. It's over. It's like, so wait, tonight against Boston counts, but two days ago against Milwaukee doesn't fucking count. Like, because when I watched that game against Philadelphia, I'm like, why the fuck would you vote mm. for anybody else? Vote for that guy. Vote for Giannis. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And I'm like, wait, it's just one game. Well, he the skipped the way- Denver game. I didn't like that he skipped the Denver game either. They, like, that was, a, he kind of rested on the kicking Denver's ass that other game. It's like, all right, I'm going to just bank that one. I'll skip the other one because I've already won that matchup. But whatever. It's These guys were razor. It was razor thin. 
Yeah, and the same reason I wouldn't look at like an Embiid domination against Jokic and go like, oh, okay, the award's over. It's like, man, this is fucking 60-plus games this year. I mean, Giannis only missed three less games than Embiid did, so that wasn't a differentiator. You know, if Embiid was a six or seven seed here and Milwaukee was the one seed, then that would have changed it. But the standings were close enough, just like the standings or at least overall record was close enough last year. And I think Jokic got a bump because the team around him last season completely fell apart. And if you go supporting cast, like even with the Middleton part of it, you know, you still got Brooke, you still got Drew. And, I, you know, look, I just kept going around and around and around on this thing. And I just felt like it's not the best player award. It's it's who was the best this season. And that's why I feel good about the vote for Embiid, despite the struggle of getting there. I have Jokic second, Giannis third. I have Tatum fourth. And... um I think I have SGA fifth. Yeah, I do. I have SGA fifth because, and here's the case for SGA. Um, on top of the fact that he did 31 points a game, he played, he was excellent defensively. I think he was, in other years, he was a borderline second team all defense guy. Um, OKC fifth through eight total minutes. I'm just going to give you the names. <laughs> These were the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth total minutes for the season. Isaiah Joe, I like Wiggins, that. Kenrick Williams, man. Those were five through eight. For Trey minutes. Man. Trey Man. Their leading rebounders were Giddy at 7.9 and Williams at 4.8. They were 30th in opposing rebounds. They were the worst team in the league for stopping the other team from getting rebounds, but they were first in turnovers. Whatever they created, he had to be good for it to work. Uh, They finished 40 and 42, which I think is like a miracle. Um, Not having Chet on a team that was kind of built around Chet. And then they lose Poku too. They lose any size they have at all. They trade Muscala. Um, They have no centers. And I just thought the clutch stuff was crazy with him. I thought he had a real swagger to him. And I, I just thought he was, I, I put ended up putting him over Fox and Sabonis because I thought he had a harder job. So there you go. I went Embiid one, Giannis two, Jokic three. I went Tatum four because it was all said and done. You know, he was the best player on the team uh, that was a game out. You know, I granted Milwaukee yeah. lost and made a handle things differently down the stretch, but that Washington loss, that Nets loss, and now you're thinking like, how's that going to go? Uh, but I have SGA fifth. So I we think have the Tatum, same five. Tatum for Giannis was, I think, way closer for me than it was for you. Yeah, it well, clearly was. Um, I had Giannis over Tatum, but I do think Tatum, there's a 10-game stretch in March that if he had played well and his stats were a little better, you could have really made the case just because it's just every stat backs him up. Every advanced stat, um, all the... You name it, the minutes that he played. I mean, he played 37.2 minutes a game. Like, he really had a a real load to them and the tone that he set and the fact that he was so good. But he'll get there at some point. He's the first first team All-NBA guy for the Celtics since KG. Um, And really had a really special season. So, th- to me, 25 years old, you're fourth in MVP. That's pretty good. All right, so first team All-NBA, I had Embiid, Giannis, Tatum, SGA, and uh, Mitchell. Uh, yeah, I have the same thing. Mitchell had an awesome stat season. It's really good. Like 48, 38, 87 splits for him. 
Like pretty, and I think he was just so important too. Like so important, swagger wise. Yeah, I, I, you know, it was tough between that and Luca. It really was like because then I was like, it's not like I'm voting Luca MVP here. Uh, the stats are I couldn't incredible, do it. but yeah. I couldn't do it. I, I, the way Dallas finished the season, I could not put him on first team. And you know my feeling about losing records in NBA. Like you really have to have a special season for me to even consider you. Um, SGA did not have a winning season, but you know, the records were fucked up this year. They made the playing game, whatever. Luca, no way he was going on my first team. I put him second team. I cheated a little bit though. I have him at forward. I put uh Jokic, Jimmy Butler, and Luca as my forwards. Because I think Luca's a fucking forward. I don't care that he dribbles the ball up and the offense runs through him. He's a big doughy guy who doesn't guard guards in the other team. It's Jokic brings the ball up for Denver and we consider him a center. Like to me, Luca's a forward. It's stupid anyway. And then uh I had Darren Fox and Drew Holiday as my second team guards. And I'm probably shooting a team high on Drew, and I don't care. People can fuck off. All right. So I have Lucas second. I have Fox second team. Butler, like when you look at the Butler stuff, like two years ago when he was a third team argument, I ended up going with him. But I went, man, it's like it feels a little cheating because he played less games. And so yeah. a lot of the metrics were awesome. But um, but now he, this year he played a lot, and they were even better. I mean, the one thing with Butler, whether it's Atlanta or whoever gets Miami in the playoff series, like you have to tell your defenders to be more disciplined on his up fake shit around the rim because he gets the call all the time. Look at his free throw rate this year. So that led to a big spike in his efficiency, and he shot it from three, even though he doesn't shoot it very often. He shot it better uh, than he generally he almost, has in the past. Thirty five percent, nine nine free throws a game almost this year. 53% shooting. Like his number, his clutch numbers were great. He was really good. And I didn't think that team was very good. No, they weren't. So, so he was a no brainer. Uh, the only cheating I did here is I put Anthony Davis second team four and I put Jokic center. Interesting. I mean, to me, that's not nearly as bad. Like Luca, Luca doesn't play forward. He's not a he's, guard. He sure looks like a guard. What, what guard does he go? <laughs> Would, would you have him guarding Drew Holiday? I wouldn't have him guarding Doc Holiday, okay, if I could get away with it. But he doesn't he doesn't guard guards, you know. Here's here's why I put him at forward because I knew I wanted to have a Nick and unless Luca was at forward, I had to pick Julius Randle over Brunson. And I just think Brunson was the most important Nick this year. I I actually don't even think it's really an argument. And putting Luca forward allowed me to put Brunson in at third team guard, which is really what I cared about, and not have Randall. I know Randall's stats are great. I know he's had some good games, but he's not not totally my type of guy. Um, I respected the season, but if I have a choice between him and Brunson, I'd rather reward Brunson. The clutch stuff with Brunson was nuts. The way that he changed the demeanor of that team um, was really special. Like he, he, that was a really fucked up franchise that especially end of games and he just he just something about what he did for them I almost don't even think you can put in stats so I had for third Tim I had Sabonis I had Jalen Brown I have LeBron James I have Jalen Brunson I have Steph Curry all right yeah we got some difference yeah I figured the, the third team was hard so we both have Steph 
We both have Jalen Brown. Uh, we both have Sabonis. Sabonis is the layup on this one. Yeah. The, the Jalen stuff, his, his metrics are bad. He didn't get to the free throw line enough um, and, and turns it over too much. But if you think about how long the list has to be of guys, hey, we need, we need a bucket right now. The list is not that long uh, before you get to Jalen Brown. Like, that's just how good he was, especially when, like, everybody else sucked. And, like, Tatum had some big counting stretches there for a few weeks. Like, Jalen was kind of the guy. So, it's still the second best team in the NBA. I have no problem with putting Jalen down on there. This is where you're probably going to push back a little bit. I felt like at guard at this point. Dame Wait, can season- we can we hold on Jalen for one second? Yeah, sure. Because there's some on-off stuff with him that, that I think is the way you ding it if you're saying like, no, no, he actually wasn't on NBA. Look at the on-off metrics, all that stuff. First of all, their bench was awesome. And that's always going to skew the on-off metrics the same way like Denver's bench was not good. So Jokic looks even better when he's on-off. Um, I just think Boston was the second best team in the league. And the biggest reason was because of those two guys. And if Tatum didn't have it one night, Brown always had a way of stepping up. Like he's just, the two guys together were the Celtics and then the role players. But every team they had to play, it was a huge game for the other team. And you got to carry that for six months. And those two guys were the ones that carried it. They got a pretty crappy Marcus Smart season. You know, and I think I think uh, the fact that White was able to step up really helped them. But Rob didn't play really at all. They couldn't count on him the whole year. Horford, they started really being careful with the last two months of the season. But Brown, uh, Brown and Tatum were the constants. and. I really think it's important with the All-NBA to have the two guys from the two best teams if you can do it. That's why I wanted Holiday and, and Jalen. So, all right. So what was your third your third team guard that we disagreed on? Dame. Yep. Okay. I, I didn't love it. it. I'm, not, I'm not against it. But the team sat him down. And his, off se- his offensive season's like incredible. And since the team's the one that shut him down, I felt like I was dinging something really special by not putting him on third team where that's where the Brunson part of this kind of sucked. And then I didn't know what to do with Randall. And then my last forward spot, I went with Larry Markkinen uh, because that team wanted them to lose towards the end and we're sitting him down. He was so fucking good this year, man. He's my most improved player too over Shea just because I feel like with Lowry, I wasn't sure what it was going to be. Hey, nice player, make some threes, you know, good size and whatever. And now it's like, holy shit, this guy's going to be a max dude. And was the go-to guy on a team that was exceeding expectations for what eighty percent of the season. Uh, Once Utah tried to, you know, recalculate what their expectations were here for the rest of it. So, you know, third team. Now this is again where you you have some standards. You're way more married to the one loss record thing than I am when it comes to the third team stuff. Where I just think I I personally I'm surprised you went LeBron. Well, first of all, he was really good when he had the right people around him. Um, he got to my 55-game limit, and I just felt like he's one of the best forwards in the league, right? KD was the one I had the biggest struggle with. I, I was like, do I actually break all my rules and put it? Is it his fault that he got hurt twice? But 47 is just not enough. I The Dame thing, he only played 58 games. I just feel like most of the games that he played didn't really matter. That wasn't a good team. I think we. this was reminding me of the Beal Wizard season when Beal got 30 a game, and it was like that team was never good. And if you 
are a really good scorer and you want to score a lot of points on a team that's going nowhere, you can do it. He had 71 against the Rockets. He had 60 against Utah. Um, I just couldn't get there with it. I think if he had played 65, 66, maybe I'd start thinking about it, but I don't know. That team's going to finish 33 and 49. So I couldn't get there. I just feel yeah, like there I'm- are better choices. The shocker for me was how easily I just knocked Ja off the team. Ja was, I think, first team on NBA before all this stuff went down. He ended up only playing 60 games. And uh, I didn't really consider him. I, I thought Dame was the hardest out of all of these. Um, and maybe Randall, but I, I just, I couldn't get there with Randall. Yeah, I can't believe, like, even when Ja was coming back, I was like, well, you know, what are you, you going to do here? But the guard thing got really crowded, man. You know, I don't feel good about leaving Brunson off. I don't, you know, the Drew part of it. Uh, you're giving him a massive bump for the All-NBA. And may, maybe you're right about that. I didn't really, you know, like Ja had a hard time with. I know some people probably floated the Kawhi stuff out there as well. Uh, that wasn't that hard for me to leave him off, personally. I actually thought for me the second team Drew is surprisingly easy. And I know I'm I'm a huge fan of his. I get it. But I just love watching that dude play defense. I feel like when a when a guard has a big game against them and Drew's trying to shut the guy down and the guy's putting up points anyway, I it, you almost like have to rank the game higher for the guy who did that. I'm just always so impressed by all the stuff Drew does. I feel like he's the big kahuna right now. Like if you're a guard and you're going against him, you better fucking bring it, you know? And offensively, I really liked the stuff he did this year. I thought he had an excellent season. All the metrics were great with him. Um, he played enough games and I, to me, that was a pretty easy one. The crazy one for me is Fox who, you know, I know we knew this was coming, but just what a, what a turnaround from a guy 18 months ago. I thought like, ugh, what is this guy? Is this, I think we had him on worst contracts maybe, or maybe on the You did, for, I did. I don't for, know. I, I, I just never could get there with him, but he, uh, he flipped it. Um, the Six only man? other ones. Oh. Oh, six man. Yeah, we didn't talk about that one. Um, I I think it has to be Brogdon. And people, oh, of course you do. You're a Celtics fan. Brogdon's better than Quickly. Brogdon came off the bench every game. And the Quickly stats of Quickly off the bench versus when Quickly started and played 40 minutes are just completely different. Like quick, Quickly as a reserve guy was like 12 points a game. Um, Brogdon is the biggest reason if you're going to say, can the Celtics actually win the title this year? You would say Brogdon and Derek White, the two of those guys together are the biggest thing that's different from last year. Brogdon will absolutely win playoff games in each series for them because he's that good. He's really, really, really good at basketball. Um, And quickly had some great games and I get it. It's the New York hype machine. I had him second, but you just can't tell me he's a better player than Brogdon. He's not. I went with quickly. Okay. (laughs) I get it. Uh, Brogdon shot it better. The metrics are better for him. And if you're a stickler about the zero starts versus 20 starts for quickly, but quickly all also played what 13 more games. And I, maybe there's one game I'm, I, you know, cause I did some of the stuff by mapping it out. I, I could be missing a game. I felt like quickly had to carry that fucking team offensively at times in a way like, I don't know if the Celtics was nice when Brogdon had really nice nights and he is really good, 
and think about like the, the hesitation on the Brogdon transaction. You're like, man, this guy's injury history. Like, what's going to happen when you see him every night? And like, up, oh, you got to the rim again. Right? He just gets to the rim and he finishes and he shoots it and he moves the basketball and he defends. Like all of these things are really good. Quickly, because of certain things that were happening with the Knicks, he had to have those moments and carry that team. And so I felt like, wait, am I like, why am I dinging quickly when he was dependent on more and had to start in the spots where Brunson was hurt? I'm, I'm just not married to that. You have to you have to come off the bench for a certain number of games. Now, granted, if quickly started 60 of the 80 games, it's a different conversation. I don't know what that line is that would make me then look at him as somebody who started too many games to be eligible for this. But I just loved the biggest moments from quickly. And sure, if he started, he started. But I think he was just asked to do a lot more. He had to uh, because the Celtics had so many other good players. It's very fair. I didn't think it was an easy choice. Brogdon's defense is the other thing that I loved with him. I, I was just so impressed with his flexibility and then. All right. So we disagree on that. Who'd you have third in that, by the way? Portis. I had Monk. I actually was surprised he didn't wasn't in more of the conversations. He was like 15 a game off the bench for them and single-handedly swung, I don't know, five games for them. And just when he has it, it was such a huge asset. I liked what he did. Some people had Norm Powell. I didn't really see that one. Um, all right. Nas Reed? <laughs> no, Nas, I had fit for MVP. Then he got hurt. Um, all right, we're wrapping up. That's it. We made it two hours. Kyle's got to edit this and put it up. When is your next podcast? Uh, Tuesday. Great. Uh, I encourage you to watch Succession tonight. It's an important episode. And that's it for this podcast. Thanks, it sucks Kyle we Craig. can't. We can't. I'm sorry. I'm talking over you, but we can't talk succession, huh? We ne- next week we can. How about that? Okay. Next week. All right. All right. Thanks to Kyle Creighton, Steve Cerruti for producing. Uh, I'm on the Prestige TV podcast with Fantasy and Joanna breaking down that uh, succession episode later tonight. I will see you there. Gonna see them on a way to sun.